Welcome to Demond Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demond, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demondcast. Okay, this week, before we get to our esteemed guest, I would like to share something with you. I have been doing more creative writing, and I would like to share a little something with you. You might take the time. Review on Apple Podcasts. Let's grow this thing. Hashtag Bad Haiku. My next guest is a professional wrestler, actor, trainer, promoter. He's been all over the wrestling business, and that man is Al Snow. You probably know him from WWE as the dude running around with the mannequin head, whose name, of course, was Head. Al is now the owner of the Al Snow Wrestling Academy, Collar and Elbow Clothing Line, and the Gladiator Sports Network, which is the home of OVW, Ohio Valley Wrestling. Buckle your seats and get ready for a wild ride and some crazy tales as we get to get in the mind of Al Snow. Take it away, past me. I am here with OVW trainer, owner, um, owner of the, uh, I want to make sure I get this right, uh, Gladiator Uh, Network? Gladiator Sports Network, which is the parent company uh, that owns OVW and Top Notch Boxing and Game On productions so so you have very so so uh retirement post wwe has been very yeah. slow for you uh it has been yeah with <laughs> you know with owning this place and and then um started the clothing line collar and elbow and then that's been pretty busy and uh you know my magic act for blind has taken off and it's just been so popular question number one okay um when did you know you wanted to get into like uh, the network side of it? Uh, you had been at OVW training, right? Um, training us when you were with WWE and then right. came back and with all that. Um, what prompted you to go from running just this place, not quote unquote, just uh, you know the finger guns that the finger quotes that people can't see, right? Um, to expanding to, to boxing, own, owning, and owning it, and, <laughs> you know, yeah, those headaches. <laughs> well, Uh, I must have hit my head somewhere, I'm sure. Really what motivated me was I had, was kind of upset, insulted, and don't get me wrong, like the boxing and wrestling commissions, Mm -hmm. not just here in Kentucky, but around the United States. Right. Because I find it to be insulting that uh, my wife, who is a licensed masseuse, you know, or if you want to be a licensed, any licensed trade, all right, Beautician, barber, uh, mortician, masseuse, etc. I forget. Uh, State of Kentucky has a list of uh, about 138 or so licensed trades. You know that you have to acquire a license to perform. And in order to do those jobs to be licensed, you have to first go to a state-accredited trade school. Right. You have to be taught by a state-accredited instructor. Okay. And then you have to complete a number of state-accredited hours of training. You have to then, uh, you're required to complete a number of state-supervised residency training, basically supervised experience, Right. before you can even take a test to acquire a license to be able to perform that trade. Right. Okay? 
It's been always my contention that a professional wrestling training school is not, it's not a gym. It is not a, it's not like it's mixed martial arts or boxing or anything. You're teaching people skills to pursue a vocation and have a career. Right. That's what you're doing. And um, as such, it shouldn't be treated as just, well, you know, you're just going to learn boxing or you're just going to learn martial arts or mixed martial arts, whatever. You're actually learning how to pursue a career. So uh, it's always been my contention of that. And I find it because I've been around on the, on the uh, independent scene all over the United States, all over the world. And I find it absurd watching people who, not just from an aesthetic standpoint, but are not in any, they're nowhere near properly trained on just the, on the very basic fundamentals of the mechanics of how to perform things correctly and, keyword, safely. Right. Okay? Nor are they in any physical condition whatsoever to be in that ring and be able to perform it responsibly, respectfully, and safely with themselves and the other person. They are literally taking chances that could create a life-altering or ending, because several people have died, lots of people have died over the last few years in the ring, of poorly performed physical moves done by people that are in very poor physical shape and condition, and in eight to ten minutes into the match, they're gassed out of their mind, blown up, breathing heavy, sweating, and they pick a guy up and drop him on their head. So, you know, it's... It's ridiculous. It's absurd that we as a profession and as a athletic commission have no standards. None. All you have to do in any state in the union that has a boxing and wrestling commission, just pay your license. You know, take a, take a physical and then uh, pay your license fee and you're done. That's it. On your way. You're a professional wrestler. That's all it is. So the complete and utter disregard and lack of respect is completely insulting to me, not just by the athletic commissions, but by the wrestlers themselves, who just now will allow anybody to walk in the door as long as they have money, get them in the ring, and give them a few weeks of training, and the next thing you know, they have a match. It's absurd, and that's not the way it should be done. So um, I met my uh, business partner, Chad, uh, Miller, who was the head of the Boxing and Wrestling Commission at the time, when I went and to the meeting of the board of the commission and made this appeal, which they, of course, turned down because they don't want to. And I'm not knocking them, but they're more concerned with just getting money because, you know, the, the vo- it was voiced that, well, we're going to lose people that, you know, we won't have, they won't be able to get a license. And I'm like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's the point, you know. They don't see the bigger picture, that they would ultimately end up making more money, and here's how, is that initially you would have that drop-off of people that really aren't entitled to or don't deserve to get a license as a, to perform a trade as a professional wrestler. But by limiting the, the quantity, the quality then goes up. Well, the quality then goes up, well, then the product then goes up of what the promoters are putting out there, which then allows for an increase in attendance of an audience. The audience actually gets what they've paid to see and can enjoy it more and believe in it more. Well, then attendance grows. It grows. Well, then that means promoters now have more capital to run more shows, which means that ultimately it's going to attract more people from outside the state to want to come here to get trained to be performers, which means that we're going to up 
uptick the quality even more, which means we will uptick the amount of attendance and the amount of shows, which now the promote the athletic commission taxes all of that anyways. Right. So they would end up making more money in the long run. But we can't do that because we're too short-sighted and we have budget shortfalls and we need to try and scrape in everything that we possibly can. And I'll and I would I would say that to them to their faces. I'm you know they they're wonderful commission. They really truly outside of most commissions in the other states, they really do have a concern for the performers and such. But the absurdity and the insulting posture of well, it's just wrestling. We don't need to have any real standards is ridiculous because wow. that's what everybody takes. You right. know, it's just ah, well, well, we got them taking a physical. Big deal. The only reason you're taking a physical is because they found out what they had licensed a paraplegic once years ago. So, I'm sorry. Why? But now you know. <laughs> yes. So now they they you know they you're required to take a physical if you've not been a license for the last two years or if you're over the age of 45. Why not make them ta- all take a physical every year then if you're that concerned about their well health and well being and making sure that they are trained appropriately and to a certain standard. And then they have to pass a physical conditioning test to prove that they can actually get in the ring and perform on an athletic level. So they'd be safe. Nah, let's not do that. And it would save any kind of backlash that they might incur. Might well. possibly. Well, no, we can't do that. We'll, we're, we, you know, we'll be held liable. You're held liable anyways because you're, t- you're the one supervising this. And you're just letting anybody in the door. So, you know, that... Motivated me to do this and, and to set our own standards. So we set about and achieved. It took us almost a little over a year. It's not easy to do it, especially being the very first one in the world. But we right. set about, you know, and, and accomplished becoming an actual accredited trade school so that we could set a standard. And then, you know, that way people can no longer make excuses. And hopefully maybe I can affect some kind of change to where... Just, you know, Johnny Sausage Head doesn't just get to rent a building, open up and throw a ring in it, and then go, I'm a wrestling trainer, and then, hey, come on in, and then take these people's money and train them all, because let's face it, all of you, everyone has the, no one gets into wrestling anymore because they want to be a wrestler. Just doesn't. You get into wrestling because you want to go to WWE. And the only reason you want to go to WWE is you want to be famous. And you don't even know what being famous is about. You just think it's cool because people will recognize you and know your name and ask you for your autograph. (laughs) Which you'll end up bitching about and complaining because they did it at an inappropriate time and you won't like it. Even though you've spent years trying to get it. Fame is nothing more than a tool that will allow you to get more opportunities to become more famous to make more opportunities to make more money. That's all it is. It's, you, you're, you, it's nothing more than a testament to the fact that you have effectively sold your product, which is you. That's all fame is, is that it's brand awareness. Nothing more, you know? And It took me a long, it took me a while to get, you, you, you beat me over the head, like, metaphorically speaking. True, but nobody that. listens to me. And it, I, did, I just didn't understand. Like, I, sure. like, intellectually, I knew what you meant. Like, that makes sense. And then as I, I was away for a while, I'm like, Oh, like when you get, I, I, for me, when I'm outside the wrestling bubble, things start to make more sense in it. And that's the problem. You all get inside, all the performers get inside the bubble, and then they start to 
influence each other and it becomes very incestuous and then to the point where what we have now these days is that the performers no longer perform for the audience, they perform for each other. Yeah. That's why all the performers take so much time to uh, call what they're going to do and focus only on what they're going to do. You guys used to and you still do, everyone does, they get together and talk over everything meticulously, then leave mentally visualize it, rehearse it, make sure you don't forget anything because you don't want to make a mistake. Right. Well, nobody out there, none of the audience know you made a mistake, only people back here. Right. So you're only worrying about and performing for these people, not for these people that paid to see you. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the funny thing is that the people backstage aren't watching you because they're too worried about making sure they can perform for you and that they don't make a mistake. <laughs> it's insane. Question number two. Sure. What do you wish you had known when you had started out? You may have answered uh, that, but. What I, I was taught it, you know, everything that we're talking about, I was taught. Mm -hmm. and, and then I got in the wrestling bubble, and then I lost sight of it. And then what happened was I did not take it full advantage of the opportunities that, and I had lots of opportunities. And I just never capitalized to the fullest extent on those opportunities because I was too focused on trying to perform for people in the back and not perform for people in the audience yeah. and that I could have I, I have not done as much as some in the wrestling business but I have done a lot more than many and I've outlasted most mm -hmm. absolutely um, if I had focused on doing what it was that I was supposed to do which was when you were you're given whenever you go to the ring you are given an opportunity right it's a it's a commercial that's all it is. Mm -hmm. And it's an opportunity for you to sell your product, which is you, to motivate more people to want to pay to see you. And the more people that want to pay to see you, the more opportunities you get to do the very same thing, right. which then grows. And, and that's, you know, and that's why you have people like The Rock who, you know, was, was able to capitalize to the fullest extent on those opportunities and make himself into an attraction, Steve Austin, Etc. The biggest mistake the big, is that a promotion company makes you anything, and they don't make you anything. Not even in the real world, not in the normal employment world. They don't make you anything. They simply give you an opportunity, and then you can show up, and you can make that whatever you want to make it. You can make yourself anything. You, you can work at Walmart, and you can just work as a stock person. But that doesn't mean you just be a stock person. You can literally work your way up the ladder from being stock person to being the you know general manager or manager of the store to being regional manager to on up the ladder in the corporations. Right. But you assume that Walmart makes you that, that Walmart will see your hard work or whatever, and you, that's not the case. You need to sell yourself and be always looking to expand on the opportunity you have by walking in the door at Walmart and make, and working your way up the ladder. That's up to you. It's not up to Walmart to do it. It's up to you to do it. And the same especially goes with professional wrestling or entertainment in the sense that you are not an employee. You all dummies think that you're hired and you all dummies think you're fired and you can't be hired or fired because a wrestler has never been an employee, never will be. Right. You're it's a business relationship between you and the promoter. And the promoter creates a platform for you to go sell your product 
that then together the two of you can capitalize on and make money together. He makes two-thirds of the money, you make a third. The reason he makes two-thirds is because he's invested and created a platform that you didn't. Right. But you have to invest in yourself, the time and the money and the effort to make it worthy of his investment, but more importantly, the worthy of the audience's investment of their time, money, and effort to then motivate them in greater numbers to want to come to see you so that you can capitalize on that platform. So it's a business relationship and not ever a job. You're never, never hired, never fired. A job means, and, 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 and there's nothing wrong with it, um, because you hear a lot of people, oh, I hate my job, I hate my job. Well, then quit. Right. You know, well, I can't quit. Why can't you? You're not a tree. You're not planted in the ground. You can leave anytime you want. Right. Well, they won't do that because they don't want change. They're more scared to change. They'd rather stay with the devil they know than the devil they don't. You know? So they want to sit there and they want to complain. And they want to piss and moan about the problems and the job, but then they don't want to quit the job because they truly love that job. Deep down, they love it. Here's why. Because they can show up every day and they can do the bare minimum and they're guaranteed they're going to get the same paycheck in two weeks that they got the last two weeks. They don't have any threat. They don't have any fear. It's security. It's a false security. It's not real. Because at any time, they could, the company could decide they just want to get rid of that position and you're done. Right. But it's that consistency that gives them comfort. If you work for yourself then you only earn what it is you make out of that day. And most people don't like to do that. Most people like the belief that they can just go in, coast through the day, punch out, hey, thank God it's Friday, you know, and then, oh, I hate Monday. Well, if you hate Monday, you're working in the wrong place. Right. But you don't want to change. You love your job. I hate my job. No, you don't. Because if you did, you'd leave. People can only mow, people can only treat you the way you are willing to accept the treatment. Bottom line. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And well, I hope it, you know. You know it, it does, and I hope the listener is, you know. I hope for them well. that, you know, it, re it reaches somebody because it, that's a fact. You can tell yourself whatever you want to tell yourself. Right. If you don't like something in your life, the only reason that it's in your life is because you're willing to accept it. You can make a change anytime you want. Anytime you want. Are they easy? No. Yeah, Change is never easy because you, that's the one thing we don't like to do. But is it inevitable? Absolutely. Everything dies. Everything has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Everything's just a story. Yeah. And you can't start a new story if you don't finish the last one. So you got to be willing to, you know, no matter how good the book was, no matter how awesome the book was, at some point you got to shut the book, put it up on the shelf, go to the next one. You know? Makes a lot of sense. So, I was, uh, I forgot which interview it was I was listening to, but you had said something about, oh, who was it? It was somebody, somebody, find, somebody finding their voice. Oh, yeah, finding their voice, yeah. Can you explain that? Sure, certainly. The most important thing, uh, even in real life, but especially in wrestling. <laughs> I love how you, I love how wrestling in real life yeah. are completely separate. <laughs> They're always separate, yeah. A lot of guys can't understand that, you know. They just get lost in the in the in the sauce, and they're like, you know, the, and I'm like, no, this isn't real. This isn't. This is just an aspect of you. It's not you. Is that you have to find your voice? You have to find who you are, that you can communicate to the audience. Here's why: the most important. That's the most important aspect for two very 
big reasons. One, it's the only thing I'm selling. I don't sell what you do, and that's what you all think. And that's all you all worried about whenever you go out there is, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I could care less what you do. Throw a bag of cats on each other. It will not sell one ticket. No ifs, ands, or buts. It won't. And I can prove everything I say. See, that's the difference with me. I actually have a thought process behind an opinion as opposed to, I just have this random idea and I'm just going to expound it in a public forum. I can actually explain what, I've, what I'm saying. Here's how I prove it. That what motivates you to watch a movie, to go to any sporting event, is the who they are and why they're doing it. Even baseball, basketball, and football now pick one player on each team and they spotlight those players and they sell you who they are and why it is important to win that particular event and tell a story. Well, guess what we've been doing here for years? And that's all we have ever sold is who the person is and why you want to see them win or lose. That's it. Want to think of one that was real popular just recently? Conor McGregor and uh, I always forget his name. Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, Floyd Mayweather. You, know, yeah. you, didn't, you didn't. You didn't buy that fight. One. You deep down, you as an intellectual have some kind of IQ larger than your shoe size. Knew that was a complete and utter work. Everybody did before even going into it and watching how terrible it was. <laughs> You knew it was a work. Bought the pay-per-view anyways. Yep. Bought a ticket. Why? What was it, 100 bucks? Who they were. Who they, were. they sold you who they were. That was what the draw was. Not what they were going to do. We all knew it was a work. They're going to make money. Good for them. You know? And you were entertained. So, you can't complain. That is what we're selling. We are never selling what you do. We are only selling the who and the why. You will never get angry at somebody like what we try to elicit as far as an emotional response here in wrestling, which we call heat. You'll never get any kind of heat based on what you do. You could go out there and literally beat a guy half to death with a chair in the ring. Won't get any response unless they know why you're doing it. That's what gets them angry. That's what makes them want to see the guy get beat with the chair, come back and beat the other guy back with the chair because it's not because he got just beat with the chair. It's because why he did it. Because the, the bad guy is a, is a coward. He doesn't want to face him. He doesn't want to have a, give him a fair shot. Whatever the reason, there's a why. And that is what draws the heat. And that is what sells tickets. Period. Now... Why is it important to develop the voice, the who you are? Not just that, so that now I can communicate and tell a story and elicit some kind of emotional response because of the fact they know who you are, care about you, or don't like you, and then they know the why. But also because you, watching, can turn to your friends and family and go, you've got to watch this show, there's this guy who is A, B, C, D, E. If the audience cannot describe you or sell you in a sentence or less to their friends and family, we can't either. And if you think back when you were just a wrestling fan, because look, I'm going to prove it again, and you just think, think of your favorite wrestler. One, why'd you like them? Was it because of what they did, or more because of who they were? Right. Right. Exactly. Right. And 
you wanted other guy, everybody around you to watch the show, and you describe your favorite wrestler. Did you tell them about what they did, or did you say he's A, B, C, D, E? Yeah. And every single ultra-successful professional wrestler has been one of those guys you could describe A, B, C, D, E. Beer drinking, ass kicking, flips off his boss, redneck. You know exactly who I'm talking about. It's, it's that simple. And if you don't develop that, it does not matter how good you are physically in the ring because we're not selling what you do. Now, you'll have a place on the show, but we're going to always utilize you to help to elevate the guy that we really can sell. And he may not be physically nearly as good as you. But we know who he is. But we know who he is. So we can sell him. Since we're on, since we're on the subject of wrestling. Um, uh-huh. Uh, with AEW uh, mm-hmm. coming uh, coming out, and yeah. you know, with the Wednesday Night War, whatever, right? The, the competition. There's still like in, in the height of the Attitude Era. What was it? I want to say it was like eight, eight million a week or something mm, like that. There was, it, I think, at our height, like at one point, WWE was getting like uh, sevens and eights, and uh, WCW was getting fives and sixes. So that's. Wow, that's okay. On so, the same night. So that's way more than I was. That's way more than I was assuming. Than, uh, I was estimating. It was okay. a much greater. Even at when WCW was at its lowest ratings wise, they were still um, pulling threes and three and a half, fours. Wow. They, you know, um, I think there toward the end they were like they were high, low, low threes. But at, that's that's over three million people that were watching. Right. At the same time that Raw was probably getting a. Between a four and a five. So that's still seven, eight million people. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. that's a lot. And there's two million-ish watching on, like, between one and two on Wednesdays. Sure. One understand, correct? Uh, somewhere in that range, yeah. So that's a lot of lapsed fans. Right. What do you think would bring help bring some of those people back? Because some of those people are just not going to, and that's, you know, that's just what Well, they is. would if you would give them, if you, if you gave them what they paid to see. Okay. So and back to what we were talking about. Which is the who and the why. And, and 98% of the talent, one, are not taught that. Okay. Two, um, they don't sell it. They sell what they do. And the reason they sell what they do is because they're more influenced, again, by the boys in the back and by the vocal minority of fans that... And, Here's the beauty of wrestling, is that once you step in the ring, you're free to do anything you want, and you're free to do it any way you want. It, it, it just, and if it works for you, do it. Right. But understand that certain ways that you are going to perform are going to marginalize your product. You're going to only sell to a certain portion of the audience. Mm-hmm. The real idea it would be for you to always try to make as much of a mass appeal as possible. You know, like, no different than any other brand. Right. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Ford. You're trying to market to the masses. But professional wrestlers, it's developed into where they've lost touch with, one, what they're really selling, two, what the audience is really wanting to believe in, and three... What, what purpose they really serve. 
um, because of the fact that they, when they're, until they finally get, they get signed, because that's all everybody cares about. I mean, I want to get signed. I want to get signed. Until they do that, no one is doing professional wrestling for a living. Largest percentage of the, I think it's 111,000 wrestlers in the United States. Really? Yeah. Wow. This was one statistic. I think there's 900 and some odd thousand in the world. And there's 111 in the United States. There's a, over there's 100, over 100,000 in the United States. There's 1,100 in the state of Kentucky that are licensed wrestlers. Um, for 567 jobs. If you count up WWE, AEW, NXT, Impact, Ring of Honor, it's only 567 positions that you can wow. fill. That's backstage, too. So, I didn't, wow, okay. Um, they don't work, do professional wrestling for a living. They work a regular job, then they wrestle on the weekend. So, their motivation is not, oh my God, because this will tell you right now. It'll tell you right where a, a, a performer, no matter what they are, singer, magician, you know, no matter what they are, it'll tell you where their mindset is is if they come in and ba- their pay is based on and their ability to be able to feed their family is based on one thing and that's how many people paid to show up in the building to see them. If they're focused on doing business and truly being successful, the first question out of their mouth when they come into a building is going to be, what's the house? How many people are here? Because they get a percentage of that. Right. Right? If their focus is on I want to do this for critical acclaim alone. I want to perform for the boys in the back, and I want to perform for that one person that's writing a report. They're never going to ask you. They're never going to care. Because they're going to want to have the best match on the show, which for them is somebody who's never done it telling them they had the best match on the show, which is insane. It's ridiculous. Yes. That's like me going to the doctor because I'm a big fan of medical shows, and never miss one and have Googled my own symptoms and went on the New England Journal of Medical Science and I know a lot about medicine so I tell the doctor how to fix me. And the doctor is a bigger idiot if he listens to me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. It makes, yeah, it makes perfect sense. The, the, the issue that we have today, okay, is that we live in a world of information. We all assume now that information equates to knowledge. And nothing could be further from the truth. You could have all the information on a topic you want, but if you don't have a commensurate amount of experience, you have no knowledge. You have information. Right. You have an opinion. And are you entitled to it? Yes. And you're entitled to keep it to yourself. Nobody cares. Because you have no real actual knowledge about a particular subject because you have information about that. Until you actually have the experience in that you don't. I can prove it. How? Well, you want to be a doctor. Well, you got to go to medical school, depending on your specialty, from 8 to 12 years. Are you, once you graduate medical school, a licensed physician? No. Not until you complete a certain number of years of residency, which is supervised medical experience, so that you can combine your experience with the information so you now have knowledge to go out and be a doctor. See how that works? And guess how, what happens? Mo, it applies to everything in life. Yeah. Just because you read something on the internet does not mean you're now an expert. 
just means you've heard of it. You just meant, and so you've got performers who don't do it for a living and don't care, but they have people that have never done it, never once, and they now are dictating to them what's good and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong, which is, again, insanity. That's but we are allowing, we do not, the majority does not rule the United States anymore. No. Doesn't. It is the vocal minority of any population, sect, uh, organization, group. If they make enough noise, we all bow down to it. Now that's why we live in a land of victims, of people that are constantly, oh my God, I'm offended. I remember when I grew up, and you know, I'm from a different day, but sticks and stones were the only thing that broke my bones. Words right. never hurt me. Right. Well, when did that happen? When did that change? When did it become where now words hurt me as much as sticks and stones? Because they don't. And, oh, well, I'm offended. Well, what are you going to do, take off work tomorrow? <laughs> Who cares? We all get offended. We all, somebody, somebody says something we don't agree with or whatever, so what? Yeah, be aware. Smarten up. This is a fact. No one makes you feel anything. No one. No one makes you angry. No one makes you happy. No one makes you sad. They do things. You interpret it. And then you make yourself angry, happy, sad, based on what you decide. And you can decide not to be offended by anything. And I've done that. You, you'll find it very difficult to find a way to offend me. Hope you're not offended that you have to wait until next time to hear Al's interesting answers for the rest of these questions. But it was a long interview, and I didn't want to cut out any of it or a lot of it. It was so good. So I, I, have, to, I have to make you wait. So I apologize for that. So until next time, I'll see you in a week. So until next time, yes, in seven days. Until next time, see it, hear it, speak it, live.